0: Financial advisor,
1: Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. I am back. I had a nice, relaxing vacation on the island of Oahu, and I am back, though, to help you as usual. I'm Justin Klein, and I'm excited for this hour to answer your finance and investment questions and that's what's most important here. I'm going to talk about uh, our main focus points, some other topics that are that are top of mind for me, but what's tip top mind is always your question. So I'm excited to hear your calls, which you can make anytime, 24 hours a day, seven days a week at 888-989-CHART. Now, I got a pack podcast today. My focus point is about diversification in a bear market and how to think about the different asset classes that you're holding in different uh, segments of the asset classes, okay? So, uh, you know, a lot of, a lot is down this year, equities, bonds, etc. and diversification has helped some for uh, for most people will help uh most people because they'll have some exposure to things that aren't Quite as down as as much, so we're going to look at uh, those different slices and and kind of um, hash that out a little bit more. I also want to look at dividend stocks in particular and how well do they provide shelter in a recession? And then rising interest rates are making the are turning the financial industry kind of upside down. Rising in straight environment is something most of the uh, finance industry has not dealt with over the past 20, 30 years, and uh, especially the the recent startups, fintech names. And so we're going to focus on those fintech names and how rising rates are impacting them. And then lastly, shrinking deficits. Our deficit is shrinking, but will that last? So we're going to look at that data as well. So ultimately... I can talk about all of those things, but it's all about you. So I have some Voice Bank questions to play on TLT as well as LPG, Dorian LPG um, Limited. So we're going to get to those questions and my perspective report as well, which focuses on inflation. And not just here, but abroad. So I've... Got all things planned for this episode, and of course, I'll take your calls live at 989 chart So let's look at the market today. We had a pretty solid down day overall. Let me pull this up here. There we go. Computer wanted to work. There you go. Uh, SP was down 90 points, a little about two and a quarter percent, and we hit the 200 moving average middle of last week on the S and P, and have bounced right off of it. Now, not a shock. Shouldn't be a shock to to anyone. Uh, the question is: Is this the is, is the bear market rally over? Uh, and you know, I'm seeing a lot of traction in the market overall with a pretty decent volume. Uh, now, certainly parts of it is short covering, uh, and I think people are kind of a little, maybe a little too early to call this the end of the the bear market rally. Uh, there's the sentiment, I'm not seeing that kind of throwing in the towel. Kind of how people threw in the towel in June on sentiment. We haven't thrown in the towel the other way. And, you know, it doesn't necessarily mean we have to get there. But it's not a clear sign of just risk off that this is going to roll back over. I could easily see this be a modest pullback and then uh, another high in order for us to really shake out all of those shorts and and, and all the people that are, are betting On this being a bear market rally, which once again could be, um, but I'm not seeing that really in the data uh, so far. Uh, So uh, modest pullback and you're getting uh, the, the main thing I'm focusing on is how is growth versus value doing and growth had been rallying over the past few months compared to value and today it broke back down so uh, certainly seeing that rotation if you head over to Morningstar which is always a good indicator you can see large cap growth down 2.64 percent whereas large cap value only down about 1.5 percent so a pretty solid outperformance there on the value side of the market so uh, that's uh that's what happened in the market today you had interest rates uh, a bit higher in the dollar the dollar continues to just march to new highs uh, closed at a new 52- week high today uh, at least the broad uh, broad basket and then when it comes to interest rates the TNX the the to 10-year, that popped and closed back above the 3% level today, 3.037 at the close. So back kind of in the middle of this range that we've been in since uh, the beginning of April and between two 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 and a half and call it three and a half, and now we're back right in the middle, right at three. So where this kind of ultimately shakes out, I think will be uh, a big a big tell to where the market is headed going forward uh, is, are we going to break out to? Uh, higher highs on interest rates, and is that is that the market telling you that hey, the economy's not that bad? The Fed's going to continue to tighten, uh, and inflation isn't going to come down nearly as fast. So uh, certainly watching that, and it will be a telltale sign. And remember, this is the week of Jackson Hole. So the central bankers from around the world are meeting in Jackson Hole, and they're going to have a little bit more um, public. Uh, meeting uh, public, uh, results, uh, or public results or comment, shall we say, uh, on Friday. So there's going to be a lot of rumors and, and bouncing back and forth, but ultimately the fireworks are likely to start on Friday. Now this is the best talk. Let's get back. Let's get to our first listener question now.
2: Hi, Steve or Justin.
1: I just had a question. I was basically looking to make a play for
2: about a year now into the green energy space and or the electric vehicle revolution and i've sort of zeroed in on siemens corporation they are a big german conglomerate that apparently have branched off and now have several ticker symbols one being s m n e y which is siemens energy and they do anything from automation to i guess electrification and then the other one is G C P A Y which is their wind turbine specific division. Both of those are traded on the OTC market and a lot of information is just not available from my platform, which in general is a red flag, but they do share the parent company of Siemens, which is a well-established brand that I do believe is a good company, but I'd like your opinion. So if you could tell me anything about some of these offshoots and if you think it's worth maybe put in a bet with the new infrastructure plans and whatnot. I'd love to have your opinion. Thanks so much. Bye-bye.
1: All right, now Siemens Energy. And there are kind of two different um, versions of this uh, this company. And Siemens Energy AG is S-M-N-E-Y. It's the first one you talked about. Is certainly the bigger one and the one that is uh, most well-diversified. They're an engineering tech company. Uh development provides solutions for industrial applications, power generation, transmission, wind energy technology, uh, and has two segments, gas and power. So they do do some offshore and onshore wind turbine production, uh, as well as uh, help uh, in the oil and gas space as well. So if I'm picking one or the other, I'm picking that one because the other one, the Siemens Gamesa renewable energy one, that's only about onshore and offshore wind turbines, which I think has some traction longer term. But uh, I think it's, uh, it's one of those areas that in this environment, so you're seeing – What's happening in Europe and the fact that so many, so much of their electric grid is dependent on their renewables. And sometimes guess what? The wind doesn't blow as much. And this is a year where the wind didn't blow as much. And, and clearly that's confounded their problem, their energy problem. That's why they're relying even more and more on natural gas. And so uh, I think politicians, as you go through this energy crisis, are going to probably pivot away. Uh, not, not completely. Um, but they're going to, They're going to have to get to a point where they invest in baseload power because renewables, whether that's wind, whether that's solar, whatever it is, it's almost always going to be intermittent. Meaning sometimes the sun doesn't shine, sometimes the wind doesn't blow. And that's just not a sustainable situation. You have to have the majority of your energy produced using base load power, meaning reliable power or something you can turn on a switch. It doesn't matter whether what what's happening in the, uh, with the weather, you can actually produce power, whether that's coal, whether that's natural gas, whether that's nuclear, whatever it is, clearly uh, governments have not invested well enough in this space uh, and that's creating this problem in Europe. Uh, along with what's happening uh, in Russia because remember prices were high and there were problems before the Russian invasion and this has just made it you know far far worse so if I'm picking one or the other I'd rather have the more diversified one that has some exposure to the oil and gas industry the problem is is that this has just been in decline since it came public early last year was at 40 and change now it's at 15 so I honestly wouldn't buy either of these neither of them get me excited Um, but don't tie yourself too much to the green energy space because i i think it's uh, overhyped and most of those companies are way too expensive and i'm going to take a fast break here remember i'm ready to take your questions now so give invest talk a call at 888-99-CHART
3: why do listener questions make invest talk better which of these would you recommend because each caller presents fresh questions in their voice
2: I was curious- Still think aluminum has a ways to go from here.
4: When do I know the right time to take
2: profits? Should I be looking for an exit? Should I be holding here? And listeners
3: instinctively realize that Invest Talk uniquely offers a welcome dose of investing satisfaction.
2: I think you have a terrific show, and I've learned a whole lot. Hey guys, love your show. Uh, I've been listening for several years now, and I've
4: Things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors, and I know that every question counts, and every answer I provide will be unbiased. You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99 Chart. Hi, I'm calling about, uh, I'm wondering if you're still bullish on uh, Devin. That's DBN. Also, on their dividend, you think that they could keep this up? How they just increased it again? And Dorian LPG wanted to hear what your thoughts were on that before I bought a couple hundred shares. I mean, their dividend is just outrageous to me. How good that is! So uh, I'll be listening. Thanks a lot.
1: All right. Yeah. I mean, I still like Devin. It's a, certainly an, an aggressive play in the uh, oil and gas space, and. You know the, the sustainability of their dividend is really going to be up to oil prices and whether they can stay high and they can keep production uh, elevated without uh, a lot of new new investment in their uh, in their production. Uh, so I think Devin is still uh, attractive. Um, now LPG this is the this is actually a limited partnership and. It looks like the dividend, yeah, that dividend is, is unlikely to be sustainable. It's going to be uh, really all over the place, and and they're making uh, good money right now because of what's happening with with natural gas and being exported from here and uh, to to the rest of the world, mainly Europe, and that's just uh, exploding uh, in volume. Now, longer term, uh, you know, that's a it's more it's a very cyclical business, and if you look at its return on invested capital, return on equity. Uh, typically is not that great, uh, to be honest with you. It peaks in the low teens, and it when it goes negative, like in 2018, 19. Um, so this isn't a name I would want to own longer term. Um, but near term, as long as natural gas prices there uh, uh, stay up, then I think it'll do fine. Problem is, is you know that's a very risky proposition. You know there could be changes in the domestic exportation of that uh, when it comes to the White House, potentially banning that if uh, prices of natural gas get too high. Uh, Obviously, if there's a resolution of uh, what's happening in Ukraine, that certainly could dampen uh, the impact of what's happening uh, with uh, LNG exports and the need for LNG exports. So, you know, it's a very high risk uh, play. Uh, what you really want to focus on here, and, and this is this is one thing I really need people to get their their arms around, is I know it's simple, I know it's basic to look at a dividend yield and think, oh well, that's attractive, that's a high yield, I want to buy that, and I understand that, but I always go back to dividend investing is about. Investing in a good business, in a sustainable business, in a business that has a track record, uh, isn't that cyclical, uh, has a good balance sheet. All of those things are very important. And so Devin, certainly much more stable than uh, a Dorian LPG. And so I would go with Devin over the other. Now we're heading into a break. Steve they are happy you are with us today. And I'm ready to take your calls at eight 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 ninety nine chart
3: Each day, Invest Talk listeners submit their finance and investment questions via phone or email. Would you like your question to be put near the top of the list? Just take a minute or two to leave a review and rating for Invest Talk at iTunes, and be sure to include a brief question with your iTunes review comments.
1: Now, my focus point today concerns the story behind this story, This the headline behind this story, diversification in a bear market. And this is important because growth stocks this year are down 21%. At one point, they were down 30%. And if you are only focused on growth stocks, then you're clearly lagging the market and vice versa. If you are only focused on maybe value stocks, uh, you're going to do much, much better. And, uh, you know, but this is this year. Last year was a bit of a different story. The year before that was a bit of a different story. So diversification works well in most markets. Uh, It lowers your overall volatility and makes sure you don't get caught offside in one asset class or another. I'm sure you can think of probably know some people, maybe it's yourself, who went all in on tech stocks and chased the uh, the, the, the growth of your names, uh, in 2020 and 2021 and thought everything was fine and dandy. And then suddenly the market turned and a lot of those names went down 70, 80, 90%. And that's just an example of what can happen when you're too concentrated in one type of asset class or sub asset class. So for example, tech, 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 Companies would be a sub-asset class. Any sector would be a sub-asset class of the broader asset class of equities. Now, during the 2000-2002 bear market, value stocks also held up well. Bonds also did quite well. Why? Because interest rates dropped pretty steadily. But in 2008 9, that bear market, as well as 2020, uh, too, this, this recent six, six months, called nine months or so, bond stocks, nearly everything went down. And one was a big deflationary shock, which was 08 and 09. The other was a big, you call it inflationary, uh, Fed-induced uh, aggressive monetary tightening. And that just shows you that broad-based sell-offs in assets can be triggered by various types of events. Now, bonds are down about 9% this year, but... Long-term, they still are usually a useful diversification. But in times of higher interest rates, obviously, that's not going to be the case. But down 9 is much better down than down 21 in the growth side of the market. Now, in other bear markets, the issue is typically a recession. And recessions are good for reducing inflation. And rates Are typically go down. And high-quality bonds usually are up. So that's why bonds... Are historically good diversifiers. Now, going forward this next decade, are they going to be as good of diversifiers? Probably not. Uh, and historically, the longer term bonds, uh, high quality long term bonds, uh, putting on duration, that's what that means, buying TLT, for example, or IEF, those are going to, th- those historically have been good hedges from a deflationary shock, a, a recession. Okay. Um, but in this environment, you probably want a different type of bond. You want shorter maturity. So not as much duration risk, two, three, four, five years instead of 10, 15, 20 years. And you also want to take some some uh, credit risk, meaning, Hey, if prices in general are going up, you have a lot of inflation. Well, it's going to be easier to pay back. So those weaker credits are not going to have uh, the, the the problem uh, that they will ha- that they usually do in a deflationary environment to pay back their their debt. Because like I said, prices in general are just higher, and it's a lot cheaper and easier to pay back that debt. Now, if you look at the history of the last uh, say fifteen years, bonds took the top spot in three of those fifteen years. Emerging market stocks, four. Of those fifteen years, so that's pretty interesting. Uh, but obviously, both can be, especially the the emerging market stocks. They can be pretty wild. Some years they do fantastic; other years they do terrible. A lot of that has to do with the dollar, and that brings me to uh, the foreign stocks. In foreign stocks, they kind of bounce around. They're never really the best. They're never really the worst. Why? Because you know the you have to have, you have that level of currency risk that's always going to be there and so two things have to go in your favor the prospects of many many different types of uh, economies around the world need to do relatively better than ours which is fairly rare and the currencies have to also be outperformers over those given years so that's why international stocks while very good diversifiers are typically not the best in any given year but they're also not the worst okay so that's why we like foreign exposure. Most people are under allocated to the foreign market because they don't see, they don't chase those returns because there's typically not that that chase uh, because it's usually not the best. Now, intermediate term bonds sit, are, are, sit at the heart of the bond market and they tend to be the steadiest performers, uh, even though recently they have not been, uh, but this is why we say you don't, you typically don't want super long duration, but you don't want super short duration and not get enough yield. You want intermediate duration, three to 10 years. And depending on the inflationary environment, you want to be the on the, the, the low side of that or the high side. In a deflationary environment, a low inflationary environment, longer term duration makes sense. In an inflationary environment, that lower duration uh, makes sense in that three to, to, to five year kind of range. Um, so that's... That's how you have to look at these different asset classes. They all have their merits, and it's always good to not put all your buckets, all your assets in one bucket, and make sure you rebalance, at least on a yearly basis. If something does really well in one year, the odds are that's going to mean revert and vice versa. And so rebalancing consistently is one way to be kind of counter-cyclical in that way. Now we're heading into a break, so give me a call at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. It's an Invest Talk Monday. Justin Klein
3: is here taking your questions live. How is your portfolio doing? Are you prepared for continuing volatility? You've got questions? Call Invest Talk. 888
2: 99 Chart. Hey, Stephen Justin. This is Justin out in Okinawa, Japan. I had a question about TLT as well as gold i don't have any precious metals and i don't have any bonds in my portfolio at all and i'm looking at gold and strong support the dollar's way up you know a turn in the dollar looks like gold could be in a good position to go ahead and make another run as well as tlt inflation has peaked and tlt is beating down more than the stock market right now bonds in general and uh looking at those two as possible investments here shortly what do you guys think i always appreciate your input have a great day thanks
1: all right now if i'm picking one or the other i'm definitely picking gold down here at some major support and you're right if the dollar does turn that's going to give it some nice tailwinds uh whereas tlt that's a lot of duration risk for not a whole lot of yield uh the average duration let me pull this up remember this is the Uh, 30-year or 20-plus-year Treasury bond ETF. And current yield is only about 2%. Well, I guess the SEC yield 3%. It's called 3%. Uh, That sounds attractive compared to what we've experienced in the recent past, but that's still very, very low long-term. And the average duration, effective maturity, is 25.8 years. Extremely high duration risk. So I absolutely would not be owning TLT. Remember, shorter duration, higher yield, low taking credit risk. This is the exact opposite. You're taking no credit risk because it's the US government. They're going to print dollars, they're gonna pay, they're gonna pay you back your principal. But you're lending them the money for 25, 26 years. Not what you want to be doing uh, at a very low rate of, of interest. So uh, definitely gold. Probably good long-term here. Uh, TLT, not so much. Thanks for the call. Now, on the next and best stock, the story behind this question, how much money should you be saving with every paycheck? The 50-30-20 budgeting rule can help you determine how to appropriate your income. And that's tomorrow, and Steve will get to that. But let's now grab an iTunes review question. The Puma51 says, I've gained 100% on my CWE. E N investment. I was just wondering what you guys think of this in a foreseeable sort of future. It's only 2% of my portfolio probably should have added more position a while back. Should I take some profits now or let it ride? Now, this is Clearwater energy and they own operate and acquire contracted renewable and conventional generation, thermal infrastructure assets. Oh, interesting. Okay. Um, let me pull up a little more inter- information. This is a company that was in the recent past uh, unprofitable, but now is suddenly profitable. They lost ten cents a share uh, in two thousand nineteen pre-pandemic, and now they're supposed to make two dollars and thirty-two cents this year. To, earnings the earnings, supposed to come back down to a dollar thirteen next year. So I'd wonder why that is. What uh, what what is trend earnings? Clearly, it's not two dollars. Uh, is it one? Is it going to trend continually back down to? you know, 2018 level of 46 cents, I'd have to really dig into this uh, company, but it's a utility name uh, and it's paying nice 3.6% dividend yield. Um, Overall, I think it's, I think it's fine, Um, but I would really need to know what that, that yield is. Uh, or that or those, those trend earnings are longer term? Is this a short-term bump or it's something where they put a new asset in place and that's suddenly going to yield a lot uh, a lot higher uh, profits? Is it something to do with um, a, a bill that was passed in order to uh, give them a lot more uh, tax advantage to their, their assets, etc.? What is the reason for this big increase in earnings? And if that is sustainable, then you know, above a dollar a share at least, um, per, per year, then I would say continue to own it. Um, but this is a name that's uh, I would do it, need to do a digging on, and I don't have an out. And my out would be the 100-day moving average. If it falls below that, I would probably be out. All right, let's pivot over to dividends, because we just had a call earlier about a couple of dividend stocks, and, and I touched on it a little bit. But uh, I want to really look into the data, because that's what's most important here. And We've, we may have recession in the future. And so how well did dividend funds, dividend stocks, do in recessionary periods? Now, this is, this is huge because it's really hard data on three different types of dividend investing. And there's income generation, where you're just buying the highest dividend yields without a whole lot of thought elsewhere. And that's frankly what most amateurs do. They see a 7% yield, they see a 12% yield, they see a, a yield that looks attractive to them, and they fire. And they say, okay, you know, it's a decently solid company, or they're making money, they can probably pay this dividend for you know, the for foreseeable future. I see no reason why this w- would be a bad stock. right? So they don't do a whole lot of screening, screening on top of that. And over long periods, uh, so, so that's number one. Number two would be growth and in income funds. And these are generally following more of a road where they they have some sort of profitability measure that they're screening for uh, in order to make sure that this is uh, a company has the long-term sustainability of their business. So they screen for things like return on equity, return on invested capital, cash flow, you know, the consistency of their dividend. So they have some sort of quality screen that will help them uh, know that they're going to pay the dividend and they're going to continue to grow that over time. So that's growth and income. And then there's dividend growth funds and they're less concerned about what the, what they're yielding today and more concerned about are these companies going to grow over time and thus their dividend over time. Now, on average, dividend growth funds have paid out a trailing 12 month yield only about 1.3% compared to the high yield group, the income group of 2.4%, but they've attracted pretty much the the best long-term returns. Uh, And especially if you screen for volatility, the dividend growth funds have done much, much better. For example, annualized return of dividend growth from the the trailing five years, 9.93%. Growth in income, about 9%. And just the income, focus on just the ones with really high healthy dividends, 7.5%. Remember, this is including the dividend. This is including the dividend, okay? And the, the, the max drawdown on the dividend growth side has been a lot lower as well. Um, so dividend growth strategies in general, long-term are better, better ways to invest. And it just shows you that, uh, like I said earlier in the show that investing for the highest possible yield is not the best strategy especially if you're worried about a possibility of a recession. Why? Because most of those companies are paying a high yield. They have leveraged balance sheets. Their business is structurally relatively weak. Uh, they oftentimes have um, difficulty um, raising capital and keep keeping capital. And so they need to pay the dividend. Um, many times they're paying a dividend and they're just raising, you know, issuing more shares as well in order to pay that dividend. So there's not that, it's kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul in a way. Uh, and so yield should always be a secondary factor. I think that's the simplest way to put it. Too many people have yield as the first factor, the number one factor. And that should never, ever, ever be the case. And the data backs that up. And so it's about quality businesses that are growing over time. And guess what? That's just investing. That's just investing. That's good, sound, logical, long-term, sustainable investing. What's not long-term and sustainable is simply chasing the highest yields, and the data backs that up. Now, I think it's safe to say that nobody wants inflation, and so we're going to turn to my perspective for this Monday. And I'll take a look at the so-called hyperinflation that has affected places like Turkey today. And then I'll compare it to the nightmare scenario of Germany in the 1920s. Now, before I dig into this, I might be worth noting that Citicorp today is predicting that British CPI is set to peak at 18.6% in January, more than nine times the Bank of England's target. And the bank is blaming high energy prices, obviously, because of bad government policy throughout the European Union. Now, the inflation rate in America is not good, but hey, if you lived in Turkey, guess what it is? It's almost 80%. And Turkey's inflation for the month of July rose to 79.6% year over year, the highest in 24 years. And it's grappling with high food prices, energy costs. And President Erdogan, long-running unorthodox strategy on monetary policy, meaning he's kept rates low for a long period of time. This time, five years ago, it took only 3.5 Turkish liras to buy one U.S. dollar. So that was the exchange rate, 3.5 to 1. Now it's 18 to 1. And so these, these high consumer prices have hit the population of 84 million. There's a lot of people that live in Turkey. And... Uh, due to the Russian war, high energy prices, food prices, uh, the the lira is is weakening. They're printing lira basically to buy their exports, and they need more and more of it. And so that's why the lira continues to drop, and you, you continue to have this inflation. Now, under Erdogan, they've typically had some pretty strong economic growth, but the last few years have been the opposite. And a lot of it has to do with them just not wanting to raise rates and tighten policy and take the medicine sometimes you got to take the medicine and and so that's the current situation in turkey now compare that to germany 100 years ago and this is after the end of the world war uh, end of world war one now in november The revolution uh, in the November revolution of 1918, Kaiser Wilhelm monarchy was overthrown by sailors, soldiers and workers. They took control of German cities and because they were mad about what's happening with inflation. Now, in early 1922, 160 German marks were equivalent to one U.S. dollar by November 1923. So a year and a half later, the currency depreciate to four trillion 200 billion marks to one dollar. Think about that. From 160 to one to 4 trillion 200 billion marks to one. So you think inflation is bad? This isn't Weimar Germany. What happens is that where you get hyperinflation is when a, comp- a country controls their currency and they don't have the means to means of production for their own economy they don't have energy they don't have food they don't have the bare necessities to for their population and so they need to go out into the world and go buy those products and services and they print the dollars or print the currency to do so and that's what's ha- that happened in Germany, printing the currency to go back to uh, to pay reparations for World War One uh, and, and buy all the things that Germany just didn't produce domestically. Thing happened here in the U.S. What we're lucky is we have a lot of energy, fracking industry, and we have a ton of food. We export our food for the most part. So and we have a lot of land, a lot of materials that uh, we use for. Um, you know, for 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 goods and services, and so that's what makes us in a much better standing than a lot of countries, especially Turkey today. Now let's go to Bill in San Rafael, looking at CF Industries.
4: Oh, uh, thanks for taking my call, Justin. Of course. Just, just uh, looking, looking at CF industry, uh looking to buy, and okay. just want to know your opinion if you think this might be a. Uh, attractive price level. Uh, They've they've bottomed out a little bit, and it seems like they're making higher highs. Just wanted to get
2: your take on
1: on timing on this one. Yeah, this is actually a name we hold in our covered call strategy, Equity & Gold Plus. And we really like the name, mainly because of the spread between the price of gas in Europe and here in the US. And so the typical way to make that play is through uh, LNG exports. Uh, but a lot of those names are expensive. Their business is highly capital intensive. Their business is not very diversified. Well, CF Industries, it's they've been around for a long time. Uh, their business is pretty consistent. And this is one way to basically export natural gas. It's a different way than LNG. Frankly, in a way, it's more efficient. Uh, why is that? Is because this they make artificial fertilizer and the main input two thirds ish of that input is natural gas. And so you produce that here using much cheaper inputs of natural gas and you take that and you ship it to Europe who still needs you know fertilizer. And they don't want to make it themselves because guess what their natural gas is too expensive. But they're making huge profits. They made $1.92 in 2019. so let to make $18.60 this year, $14 a share. Next year, it's $105 stock. So they're just printing capital, and they're likely to do that for a while um, until this spread narrows. But it's not for multiple reasons, mainly incompetence within Europe uh, and the ongoing war. Um, and so they haven't pivoted to anything that's sustainable. They have no really alternative than to... Continue to buy more natural gas because they're shutting down nuclear plants. They, their, their uh, uh, green, their green transition is obviously uh, not very consistent, uh, very intermittent, as 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 we talked about earlier. And so, I like CF. Uh, it's very, it's set up very well uh, to just print money in this era of high natural gas prices in Europe. Thanks for the call. This is Invest Talk. I'm Justin Klein, and we have one goal here each and every weekday: is to help you achieve your own version of financial freedom. And our work continues after this final break. So if you're going to call, you want to do that right now at 99 chart.
3: Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, where Invest Talk hosts and KPP principals Steve Peasley and Justin Klein practice parallel investing. That means Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing at investtalk.com.
4: Steve or Justin, this is Will from the San Francisco Bay Area. I have a question about 3M. I hold some of their stock. And maybe you know, maybe you don't know, they have an exchange offer they're making to us to exchange shares of 3M for a company that they own. Okay, it's a split-off subsidy. It's called Garden Spin-Off Company Corporation. One is given the chance to go along with the exchange or not. And I was just curious as to what your thoughts are. Anyway, love your show, and I've been listening a number of years. And based on some of your analysis, I've actually bought some stock, and I'm doing quite well. I'm, I'm retired college teacher. You know, my only income is from Social Security and IRAs, 401Ks, teachers' union and such like that, which means I don't get a paycheck. So I kind of depend on the part of my portfolio that deals with buying and selling stock. So you, you offer a very valuable uh, service here. Anyway, hope to hear from you soon. Thank you.
1: Well, glad we could help you in some way and uh, can create a sustainable uh, life for yourself in retirement, like we do a lot of our, our current clients, even though you aren't a client, at least uh, the show's helping. Now, you're looking at 3M, and they are doing a spin off, uh, split its healthcare business into separately uh, traded companies. And typically, spin offs are value accretive, meaning it's good for shareholders. Uh, especially large companies. When you have a large company like 3M, they have a lot of different divisions. They have a ton of revenue. You're talking about a company that does 8.7 billion dollars in revenue per quarter, per quarter. And they have um, industrial tapes, adhesives, medical office products, surveillance, etc. So a lot of those those medical products they're they're spinning off. And so what what happens is people or investors tend to like pure plays, meaning Hey, I, I, wanna, I want exposure to healthcare. And, you know, does 3M have some healthcare exposure? Sure, but wouldn't I rather own something that is 100% in the healthcare world if I want exposure to healthcare? That's how things happen in the market. And so these spinoffs tend to attract more investors, you know, because instead of investing in a conglomerate, they're now able to to really focus. So I think it's probably a good thing overall. Um, also, there are some, uh, you know, some litigation that's uh, over, it's an overhang to 3M stock. And as long as they're also not exposed, these spinoffs are, are, are going to be kind of getting out of the way of what happens with uh, you know the, the many the lawsuits that uh, are kind of hanging over 3m's head. Um, so if I'm if I'm saying this is a positive or a negative, I think it's a positive for shareholders uh, on this restructuring and this spinoff. so thanks for the call. Now lastly let's touch on the interest rate market and fintech Fintech players, especially companies like Upstart. And Upstart was one of the high flyers uh, during the pandemic, as price of capital was low. Uh, and people wanted to buy a lot of physical goods, electronics. Um, what else? What else did they finance? Electronics. I know there's a bunch of other stuff. Cars, uh, for example. And basically, Upstart was using their AI to basically extend. Loans to people based on other factors in their FICO score. So using AI, so uh, things like where they're living, things like what their education uh, level has been, uh, what type of company they're working for, etc., to extend loans to people that typically don't have that grade of credit. And what they were doing were packaging up these loans and selling them into the market. Uh, but those buyers have kind of dried up as they're looking to take on less credit risk as there's a lot more uncertainty in the marketplace. So banks, credit unions aren't buying them. And so what's happened is upstarts had to kind of keep them the loans on their balance sheet. And the market's not liking that. They're down 80% this year, uh, did a bit high of nearly $400 per share. Now it's at 26. Okay, so it just shows you that these newer companies, they can... They can talk about changing the world. They can use exciting words like AI, but it doesn't necessarily mean that their business is sustainable or not just a flash in the pan. Uh, It takes true innovation and oftentimes it takes a while for that to kind of uh, shine through company to keep on your watch list, I think, but uh, to to keep an eye on. But certainly in this environment, they are struggling with many other fintech names that have been extending credit to consumers. Now I'm Justin Klein. This completes another Invest Talk program. Steve Peasley and I thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads. And we've officially—we're on our way to 50 million. Excuse me, we're at about 44 and a half million mark now. And this is all thanks to you. And you can get your Invest Talk podcast anytime at iTunes, Spotify, Google Play. Be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. Independent thinking showed success. This is Invest Talk. Good night.
0: InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461.